0: Hello and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors and philanthropists who are committed to planetary purpose. My name is Julian Guderlai and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Trisha Eastman. Trisha is a pioneer in the psychedelic renaissance. Her holistic approach incorporates Eastern philosophy, biohacking, soul retrieval, archetypal mapping, meditation, somatic therapy and shamanism. Trisha is a writer, speaker and advocate for the psychedelic movement. And over the last decade, she has been involved with numerous projects related to preservation of sacred medicines and cultural traditions. As a medicine woman, she curates retreats in countries where use is legal, working with 5-MeO-DMT from the Sonoran Desert Toad and Iboga. She has been initiated into Bwiti traditions of Mumbayano and trained in the Misoko, as well as facilitated the psycho spiritually Boga program for Crossroads Treatment Center in Mexico. Her most recent projects include Ancestral Heart at Burning Man, and I'm sure we will get to talk about the sacred sites around the planet. So with these words, welcome to the show, Tricia.
1: Hi, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you, Jillian. Love your work. Really grateful for what you're doing as well.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to finally have you on the show. We've been meeting around the world in the last couple of months, you know, and uh, all kinds of good uh, company and communities and shared so much about, you've shared so much about, you know, sacred sites and the importance of, um, you know, cultural traditions and sacred medicines and how they could possibly find um, like a holistic entry into our broader society. And I'm just happy to jump into the topic and, and yeah, get some insight and some wisdom out of you.
1: Mm, thank you so much really excited to share all of the magic that's been that's been happening
0: yeah so let's start with what's just happened recently you just got back from burning man i think like a few days ago and you are just still lit up from it you guys created a project called ancestral heart and can you just give us like a super short synopsis of what the project was about and why burning man
1: So um, first of all, the project was never about me. Um, As a medicine woman, I receive a lot of messages and um, it felt that it was really important to bring um, elders from Africa to Burning Man, to create a bridge, to bring uh, cultural awareness and cultural sensitivity so that we can start to As a collective, we don't, we don't really have the answers of how are we in right relationship with the medicines? How do we, how do we create global peace? How do we incorporate these powerful, indigenous wisdom teachings into Western culture? And the way that we do that is we all get together we all collectively share our hearts you know we we all come into a humble way of being in circle and and through that some good ideas usually arise of of what's next to move forward and so i knew that i just needed to get them there and that was quite a task in itself and uh, and it happened so i'm, I'm relieved and, and, and grateful
0: cool so how many elders from from how many countries did, did you bring into burning man
1: So um, my original intention was to have elders from Gabon, Ghana, and South Africa. Unfortunately, Due to our climate uh, of, uh, you know, it it could be considered racial, but it but it's also political. Um, It was very difficult to get visas for any of the African um, elders to come to the US. And so even though we made an attempt at bringing 18 people, we successfully brought six people. And I mean, that was for a beginning, you know, event it was it was still really power, powerful and i was kidding with them because uh you know they're from south Af- africa and i was like it's like hurting wildebeest because you know just keeping them together because everyone wanted to talk to them and wanted them to come to their camp or go over here and we had to keep everybody together and, and keep the unified field uh so it, it was great it was as much as i think we could handle for the first time
0: yeah i I think that's just like the reality really you know showing the reality of bringing people in from from countries that does, don't have a politically privileged position i think is it's quite unfortunate but it's it's what happens right so so how did that go down i think you you shared it briefly before we started the recording like total serendipity taken over um you ended up bringing in six people from South Africa is that right
1: yeah so what happened was um I had lined up. Um, four Gabonese, or actually technically three, because one of them is more, was kind of supporting and managing. Um, And then um, I had uh, eight from uh, Ghana as well. And uh, literally days before Burning Man, I get the message that the drummers from Ghana were not able to get their visas, that they were declined their visas on like August 16th. I just so happened to be in South Africa and I was at a really important meeting related to creating a declaration for the protection of sacred sites on the planet um, with different indigenous elders from all over, including about nine traditional Sangoma healers, which are native to to South Africa uh, and was able to, through them, uh, locate, uh, some drummers from the Zulu tradition, uh, that already had U.S. visas in place. That in South Africa is one of the countries that I learned, um, actually will do a 10-year visa program. So once you have your visa in place, it, it doesn't expire for, for 10 years, although there's other requirements. Um, so I really was fortunate because the synchronicity was that these Zulu drummers who are just incredible, uh, powerful wisdom keepers had uh, a performance in Broadway and they actually didn't get their visas and they were hugely disappointed because they were there to share their story, their ancestral tradition in a place that isn't typically a platform for that on Broadway of all places, which is so exciting. And so when they got the news that we were inviting them to come to Burning Man a week after they had missed this opportunity, uh, they were in tears. They were so happy. This is their first time in the United States, six of them. They literally get off the plane, hop into a van from SFO, drive to the playa, and their first American experience is setting foot on the playa.
0: Wow, that that is a different kind of start to the United States. I think most people arrive in New York or LA or something. That's crazy. So, so how did that go? They were just like blown away by it, or there was there was this feeling of like this is different than we expected, or or was it just like a feeling of really homecoming, which I think a lot of people experience at, at the burn?
1: It's it's really funny because. Um... I think there was a part of, of the experience where they're like, Oh, we're going to America, fancy cars, five star hotels, really good food and uh, And then they show up on the playa. And, you know, I prepared them the best I could to, you know, say, yes, we do have showers. Yes, we do have tents. Uh, we have, you know, composting toilets. Uh, but it's, it's a different, it's a rough experience. Um, but when we arrived, our, our shower wasn't working. And I remember one of the, the drummers kind of like lost it for a second. And he like, five o'clock in the morning, he's just like on the ply screen. I need a shower! (laughs) It was the funniest thing ever. And so, um, You know, everyone was so loving and welcoming to them. They fell in love with everyone on the playa. And uh, in the end, they said this was the most transformational experience, several of them said, of their lives. And they never could have imagined that a place like that existed. And it gave them hope for um, the bridge that they hope to create for world peace and love and harmony on the planet. And so it was really um, inspiring for them, too.
0: Super interesting. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I would love to hear a little bit of like the controversial thoughts that are that have been going on. I know inside of you before you went there, I think it was your third burn you said, and um, you know, like it's, it's a great and massive undertaking what's happening there in the desert, but at the same time, it, it doesn't come without its challenges as, as well. Right. So how, how did you, how did all that look inside of you in that big process of making sure some wisdom key uh, key wisdom people are coming in, but at the same time, knowing there's thousands of people coming together in maybe not even a sustainable way. Like, how did all that look inside of you?
1: So, um, I was definitely conflicted. Um, it was a tough choice to make. Um, this is my third burn, um, my first being in 2012. And, you know, so, it, it you know, there's a lot of very hedonistic things happening, a lot of like, you know, just burning of things waste of things and um you know that's just like the surface of it you know there there's a lot of that stuff going on but I also feel like there's an alchemy happening where underneath it all there's there's an end result of so much love being unlocked and so much heart being unlocked and so much um, embracing the shadow aspect of our culture. So really having this radical acceptance for things that maybe in the normal Western world, people might have judgment and shame around such as someone, you know, being open sexually or running around naked or, you know, things like that. And so I think that in that respect um it's a really powerful experience but i definitely feel that there's a huge opportunity to up level because when you have that many people that are in a consistent agreement a collective agreement to carry about the way that they are like leave no trace radical inclusion all of these things are are revered on the playa, that if we injected a higher vibration, not that there's anything good or bad or better, but if we could inject some of these high-level ideas into that, the end result could be really powerful, was, was the way that I that I saw it. And so even though um, there was a lot of things happening that, you know, I feel like You know, for instance, the Amazon's on fire right now, and here we are on the playa generating massive amounts of plastic waste, fire waste, smoke, you know, all of these things. We're burning pieces of art that could be recycled, especially when we have a hurricane happening and we've got refugees in the Bahama that are in need of just basic shelter and generators, and we're burning generators just to run, you know, laser beams and DJ booths and stuff like that. I mean, those are things definitely to consider. And um, I do feel that the amount of love that was generated definitely offset the carbon footprint. Um, One of my dear friends, his name's Henry, um, he is opening the first net zero restaurant in New York City, which is big. And he wants to create a camp that's 100% net zero. And he was telling me how inexpensive from his research there are methods of, of having carbon credits and planting trees and so it would be really cool if we could bring a lot of people into events like this um, to to really offset that and so i'm really excited to to be of support in that way if i can of course
0: mm-hmm. Well, thanks for kind of going uh, about it from both angles and then kind of you know displaying the the more obvious kind of pieces that are kind kind of controversial while there is massive turmoil on the planet, but then also really highlighting the other side of how it is already creating an impact of serendipity and synchronicity that is is definitely like more than more than needed. I'd love to switch it up a little bit and go into like your um you know your activity around holistic visions on the planet. And you and I actually, last time we met, I think was in Barcelona um, uh, almost a year ago now at a conference called Holistic Vision Symposium. And you've recently traveled with one of those work groups and we're basically on the topic of sacred sites and how to activate certain sacred sites on the planet. And would you, would you give us like a little insight into what's going on in that kind of realm and uh, what, what's the work that's being done?
1: Well, um, you know, this work is near and dear to my heart personally, because as a as a medicine woman, one of the things that's really important is working with the land, clearing the land, um, and and you know, we do prayers and we do offerings. And this is something that the indigenous, uh, especially the Kogi people of Colombia, who are very involved, they're one of the 12 masters that are overseeing the projects of the Holistic Visions. And um, they had a desire to identify six major new sacred sites on the planet. And, in order to reactivate these sacred sites, they needed to acquire some objects that had been taken from them and put into museums, which they successfully did. Um, And these are basically tools that are um, designed to reactivate specific sacred sites so that they can be used. Um, Most of the sacred sites, there's you know, probably thousands of sacred sites, but the sacred sites are a place of power. So it's where there are specific ley lines on the planet that intersect in a way that a collection of spiritual energy, uh, just like we have chakras in our body, or we have different nodes that are considered acupuncture points, like in Chinese medicine, Um, the planet has the exact same thing. And so what's happened over time is, a lot of these sites were stewarded by uh, indigenous and the indigenous because of western culture have been um, pushed off of these lands and um, even barred access to these to these sites Um, recently over the years UNESCO um, created a uh, UNESCO is is connected with the United Nations they created a what's called heritage site that is a mode of protection to prevent you know for example real estate development or oil drilling or any kind of natural resource drilling into specific sites that have been deemed heritage sites. However, the issue that was raised by these indigenous elders, there was about 25 people in this group, which took place in um, Timavati. Timavati is a sacred site that exists within um, South Africa about five hours from johannesburg and it lay and it exists on one of the most important ley lines on the planet which is at the 31 degree mark and it's the ley line the golden ley line and it it associates with the energy of the lion and it um lines up precisely with the sphinx in giza so the line goes straight through which also lines up with the sirius uh um constellation constellation during this time of the year like august like early august through almost the end of uh or beginning of of september is and don't quote me on that it's somewhere in there uh and uh this ley line goes through and it goes directly in alignment with timavati which the word timavati means star lion and so um In this region of the world, there is a sanctuary that exists with the most rare lions that are believed by indigenous to be uh, divine beings incarnated into animal form known as the white lions. Um, And so these lands are sacred um, and incredibly powerful. And I was blessed with the opportunity to um, be in communion with them as we were co-creating as a group, this declaration of a true definition of what a sacred site is and what the difference is between what UNESCO with the, with the um, UNESCO heritage site and what uh, you know, this declaration was defining was the spirit aspect of sacred sites because it doesn't define that whatsoever. And it also defines that a sacred site is sovereign. It does not belong to an entity. It does not belong to a government. It does not belong to an individual. It does not belong to a tribe. Um, It also um, has a steward. And the steward is someone who is determined through divination. So let's say there's like, whatever indigenous tribes are in that area, they would decide there would be a council, uh, but the council would 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 listen, listen to spirit, and talk to spirit, and receive the answer of who the steward was for this land. And that steward would be the acting protector, but also the person that would decide how the site was managed. Um, the declaration also defines um, a sacred site beyond what we see as typical geography, because it has no limitation to its interdimensional way of, 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 you know, what its boundaries are, Uh, you know, not just the land, not just the sky and going up vertically, horizontally, but, but, but interdimensionally as well, which, you know, I think in our culture, what's really groundbreaking about this whole declaration is that we're talking about something that is what some people would call mystical or even woo woo, but we're really defining it in a way so that people can understand that there is an intrinsic value. I mean the site's value is to all of the indigenous, to all of those that recognize what it is, that's where the value is, is in that spiritual energy and yet it has never been defined before from my understanding um, in any formal way. So when we sat down as a group, um, we looked at how um how would we define the spiritual aspect of these sacred sites and because every culture has different words just like eskimos have a thousand different words to describe snow um in one of the indigenous groups that was sitting amongst us of the 25 individuals in this council for this declaration of sacred sites she shared the word mupo and mupo in their culture means the um the force that is behind all life the the thing that connects all life together and so what was really important is that we had an appendix within this document that outlined all of the different cultures and how they define the spiritual energy that exists within sacred sites. And so to me, I felt that was really valuable because we all need to understand this, this thing that might be invisible, but um, truly has is what contains the value within the sacred site because this is why this site must be protected.
0: So this is super curious and uh, thank you. I love you for calling it out. It's like quite woo-woo to a lot of people, right? So like a lot of the things that uh, have to do with spirituality or have to do with like a deeper form of intuitive knowing for a large part of demographic on the planet, they cannot relate with it whatsoever because it's not what we've been trained in. It's not what we've been schooled in. Um, And so it turns into uh, nonetheless uh, it's not less interesting or less exciting for, for a lot of people but it's something that is really hard to grasp and so including that or including the notion of different cultures of ashe or source or mupo or like whatever the names are of this like all connecting um, energy i find that quite interesting because this is something i've been like tried to like really connect with uh, myself like how do we create um, pathways where we can exist as multidimensional beings within this this reality. So we, we we're educating children around it. We're not losing the the beauty of the physical reality we've created with the tools we have, but we're also not overpopulating it with garbage. I mean, it's some um, effect at this point, right? That we've been producing more plastic in the last fifty years than anything else, and and so bringing definitions or bringing. Um, ideas of of these concepts into the at least into yeah the colloquial language in which we relate I think is is important and how did that really work for you guys so far in that project that that has been started like is it something that's that's still like a languaging that that you're still discussing among yourselves or do you feel like at some point it could even be part of like a unesco heritage um, you know uh, legislation that there's like at least an acknowledgement to that for those people that are open to, to, you know, open their spirits to perceive?
1: I mean, I would love if there was some formal declaration of the immaterial aspects that could be recognized um, because I think that they haven't been proved in a scientific, traditional scientific way, A lot of that has been written off. But I think in context to this declaration, because it is so aligned with such a high frequency of um, intention, that it wouldn't necessarily be directly tied to an organization such as UNESCO. Because ultimately, like one of the big, um, you know, things within this declaration is that you know, these sacred sites are not commodified in any way, that there's a defined area that is is protected from the outside public, Um, not because it's something exclusive or elite, but because I will share from my personal experience working with Vortex is that um, when you have a lot of different Prayers and cultures and intentions being thrown into an amplified state, it can get confused. And so it can be confusing to the land what its core purpose is and what it's there for. Each one serves a purpose, it has something that it's holding for humanity, a code that it's holding for humanity. And so, um, you know it's just you know it's just not a place we want to be dumping our thoughts and ideas and our own will um and so i think that that that's also really important and not something necessarily that unesco would agree with
0: got it so this is this is highly interesting to myself as you know we've met at the symposium under a certain similar umbrella uh back, back then in barcelona and i feel like You know, formulating holistic visions for the planet Earth is something that I truly believe in one way or other we will need to do. Like, what is the planet that we're actually desiring to create? And what are the um, pieces or the prerequisites that belong to it? Let's say um, spirituality and materiality are are equally as valued in in a declaration like that. How do you feel like this, this process could go? Like, the question I usually ask at this point is, like, what's your part of that vision, right? Like, what do you envision is possible in 200 years mm-hmm. but what i'd love to hear from you right now Trisha, is, is like you you're already dancing on both of those uh, um festivals for the sake of no better words. so like <laughs> how can we actually bridge um well what do you reckon would be one possible way of so many possible ways um to bridge the very spiritual realms and planes and the, the very realm. material realms and um kind of creations that there is at some point like you know if that's in a year from now and 10 years from now we've reached a place where we're like okay we've steered the ship against the wall long enough now we have a holistic plan how to uh, address earth land people together
1: Hmm. i think the most powerful thing that we can do if we're trying to share the message and communicate it to people of a different mindset is through story and art like the film, The Twelve. The the film, The Twelve, which was created through the Lesiel organization, telling the stories of these 12 masters that came to share an important message for humanity that came out of their indigenous environments, met at the United Nations and collectively had a prayer. Um, I think the more that we can all get out there and create more films, more documentaries, because can you imagine if there was a film created that had every indigenous elder telling their definition of spirit? If that film got out there to the public, Mm. what would that do to people's idea and belief? Because they would be sharing not only the energy and frequency of it, but also their belief. Um, But in a way that would, it's not like they're trying to convince you, oh, you need to believe this, but more like, here's something different to look at.
0: I think that's so curious because that's really, that's really the work we haven't done yet, right? Is, is this idea of templating, uh, showing, showcasing, or just making visible what's there in minority groups around the planet, but that's just not part of our general collective narrative from industrialized countries. It's very powerful. Um, Trisha, I have just like another question or two. I, I loved already where we kind of went in this conversation. Um, let me Let me just ask you very personally, you know we 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 are talking about purpose here in one way or other. How would you define the word purpose in your own words what is what is purpose and and how can one express that?
1: Well, I think that purpose comes from a place outside of ourselves, and I don't mean that separate from us, but what I mean is um, that it's a transmission that we receive. And we won't actually receive that message until we have done enough work on ourselves that we're not in a space of um, consumption. Because what happens is, you know, just like the butterfly, I hate to use the story because it's so commonly used, but it's like you have this caterpillar that goes into the cocoon and becomes a butterfly. And when it becomes the goo of the caterpillar, the imaginal cells start to appear and then they grow and they cluster and eventually they overrun the caterpillar cells and they become the new modus operandi and so then the butterfly forms but the caterpillar knows nothing of its purpose because it won't know until there's enough imaginal cells that it can understand from the butterfly's standpoint which is more of an observer versus from the ground crawling on the ground, what its purpose is. And so when we go through this healing path and when I've, you know, held space for well over a thousand people, I always see people want, they want to know like, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? And it's not going to become clear until you fully align with that part of yourself, your divine self, your soul self then once you're aligned with that part of yourself versus the ego, the ego is the caterpillar. Uh, once you're divine with your, your soul self, then you'll know your purpose.
0: So you did use an example that, as you said, is being used quite a bit uh, right now in certain communities, but I, I never heard it put like this, that once you actually align with your soul self the purpose becomes visible and this is this is part of the work i do with people as well Is like aligning to this place of soul because it's well first of all it's not actually that complicated but it it takes an effort of creating space because the ego mind is just you know it's such a um intricate creation of taking over our own thinking and our own habits because it's always all over us what the personality kind of wants right and then yeah once the space is created and the true listening happens, there is again like a very different quality of resonance and quality of messages that comes through. Thank you, I love that answer. Is there anything else that you'd, you'd love to share on, on the topics we've been kind of meandering around in this conversation? Like we talked about sacred sites, which I think in itself is like a super deep uh, rabbit hole, um, bringing more elders into our um, festivities, if that's a Burning Man or another festival. What else is showing up there for you? What is the life for you there right now?
1: I mean, one of the things I think that is real for me that I would share is that, you know, once you've aligned with the butterfly and the soul self, you most instantaneously want to give. You want to be of service. And just because you're of service and just because you're in that giving place doesn't mean there's not going to be obstacles. So, you know, like when I was bringing these, this, this, these groups from Africa to Burning Man, I had tons of obstacles. And, you know, here I am thinking, okay, you know, I, I, I'm a deep believer that we are so supported in everything that we do, that there are our ancestors and there are other beings on the other side supporting us. And um, I just think it's really important to remember that those egos are tricky buggers and they might have some idea of how that should look, how that service should look. And we just have to really just be open. We just constantly have to be open. And it's a reminder for me just as much as it is, I'm speaking it aloud um, because I need to hear it um, that, um, the more that we can just let go and surrender, um, you know, the more we can serve.
0: Beautiful. Very beautiful. I think I was recently misquoted in an episode I actually gave, um, or maybe I said it, I just said it in an incomplete way where I was trying to say, when you are aligned with your soul, um, the obstacles that show up, you can deal with them because you're actually in alignment, but the obstacles still definitely show up. And, this yeah. is something I, I feel like it's, it's part of the narrative about this like hyper-Americanized uh, society that, that's been created on a global scale where we believe that once you have the job, the money, the status symbol, the uh, family, the white picket fence or whatever it is, that then life is perfect and nothing else will touch you again because you can just pay your way out of it. And I think that's where the narrative might be coming from. But life's full of challenges. I just feel like when there is alignment, as you said, the way we experience challenge changes. It's almost like you know that you kind of need to go through it to reach your next destination. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, And, and I also want to add to that that, you know, I feel like divination is a really powerful tool when you understand how to use it because it can help you to make the right choices you know to just make sure when your ego is getting in the way and so as i was going through the path i was getting confirmation through divination of different um ways to go and i still had obstacles because i had to be tricked to go there because it was a lesson for me it was something i needed and so you know part of me even felt like, hey, why did that happen? I was doing all the right things. I was asking the right questions, making the right choices. But like literally, it was intentionally leading me off that cliff so that I could die, so that I could surrender.
0: Beautiful. Trisha, thank you so much for a short and sweet episode here with me. Um, Thank you. Where can people find more of your work?
1: So um, my project that I did at Burning Man is at AncestralHeart.com. And then my retreats where I I support others in their own um, inner journey work is called PsychedelicJourneys.com.
0: Excellent. And I will put those two links in the show notes as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for the time.
1: Thank you, Julian. It was an honor.
0: And that's that, another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights, knowledge, and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life, into your relationships, or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world. Because this is a movement and we're all part of it, very much so, and we're in this together. We're here to create a world of a triple bottom line, where you win, I win, and the entire planet wins. We're raising consciousness together, and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. Definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview, because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now, with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world then i would love to hear from you and i'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships because getting all of the juice all of that life force that's in you out into the world is something you deserve and the entire world around us deserves also i work with people who are entirely new to this to the topic of planetary purpose or the topic of meditation, the topic of inside evolution and revolution. And if that's you and you're ready to step out of the ordinary and into creation, or if you know someone who is totally ready for that, make sure to check out the website or share the website. And you can also always shoot me a message on Instagram. I'll definitely read it and get back to you. Because, like, guys, this is real life. Let's be in touch and let's create this together. Last but not least, there is a few different group experiences I host, both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments, and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected, because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in. Connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you, and until soon.